This week I was having a conversation with someone uh, that's not uncommon for me to have with other people. This person I was speaking with is a young mom, and she was sharing with me just how busy uh, her life has been. She's a single mom, very busy, you know, trying to juggle work, trying to juggle life, just social life, but also her kids and all those kind of things that go in between of just being a human being and trying to figure out what do you do with your time. And as we were talking about her, she was discussing about how, you know, her, her life wasn't really maybe meeting what she wanted it to be. It wasn't very satisfying in some way. She was finding that trying to juggle like with her, her family and trying to figure out like what do you do with your family and how do you take care of your kids and how do you get things to stand up? How do you juggle your family and then also just kind of juggle with the ideas of like what do you do with your, your friends and you know, your whatever you have going on in your life. is how do, you, how do you keep it all going? How do you make things work? How do you make sure that everything is getting the attention it needs? In particular, she was wondering about her career, her job, and trying to figure out, like, how do I make this all work together? And so we talked about it, and she talked a lot about how do we balance this out? How do we balance when we have so much going on over here and so much going on over there? How does it make it all work? And many of us try to figure that out. This isn't an uncommon conversation I've had with people. In fact, I've had this conversation in the mirror with myself, uh, going, how do you make all these things happen? Because you have all these different things you're trying to juggle, and something is not balancing out. And so what do we do when we have, you know, your career and your family, and then you try to figure out, okay, well, what do I do about my friends? Do I just ignore them? And things just don't balance out. And for some of us, we're thinking, well, I'm in school, so how do I, not even just a career, but how do I deal with school? How do I worry about exams? And then you have your own personal health to worry about. And so you're thinking, like, what does that look like? And still things just don't seem balanced. Maybe you're in a significant relationship. Maybe you're married, so you're thinking about your spouse. How do I make sure there's time for my spouse as well as my kids and my job and, you know, everything else that's going on. And every now and then you might think, well, why don't I have a hobby? And you're thinking, how does this work? How do we balance everything out? And then if you're following Jesus, you're asking the question, well, where does Jesus fit in in all this? How do we make sure that we have enough time to be Jesus-centered, as we've been talking about? And how do we make that all work? And the truth is, is if this is what we're doing, trying to balance our life, we fail. Because it is impossible to balance your life. And you will strive, and you will strive, and you will be discouraged. Because all you try to do is figure out, how do I make this all work together? And when you're trying to balance it out, ultimately something either gets ignored, or something gets overemphasized, And then what happens? Like, let's say you're worried about your career. Maybe it's a very busy time in your job life. Maybe you work in in the financial world. Maybe you're a chartered accountant and you do taxes. And you're thinking, man, March is going to be crazy. I have so much to do in March. I have all these taxes I have to do for people, let alone my own taxes. How will I balance that with my family? or my hobbies, or my friends. And what ends up happening 
often, more often than maybe we want to admit, is that we realize these things aren't balanced, so we feel guilty. We feel bad. We feel like, oh, I've ignored my kids this week, even though you probably have spent time with your kids, or I've ignored my parents, or I've you know, ignored my job so I can do these things, or I've ignored school because I've been so busy with other things. And you're thinking, oh, how do I balance this out? And then one thing is getting neglected, another thing, and you just feel guilty. You feel bad. And sometimes you just get so discouraged. Most of us are busy people. You have stuff to do. And most of us, we get so busy, we can forget about all those things that are going on all the time and just feel like we're overwhelmed and feeling like, oh, we just can't catch up. We can't make it work. And then we feel bad about ourselves. We feel like we've ignored our friends, or we feel like we've ignored our spouse or significant other, or our personal health. Usually that's one of the key ones that goes away when we're very busy. Or our family, extended family, children, whatever. And we just have this guilt that kind of carries with us, and we think, I just fail at this. Balance won't work because there's too much on our plate. And so is there something better than balance? And I believe there is. And I believe it's the way of Jesus. Because Jesus actually says to us in Matthew's gospel that his way is so much better. He says to his audience that he invites people in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke was a uh, farming mechanism. Usually it was put on top of an animal like an ox, and it was used to plow a field. So you'd have this wooden yoke put on top of an animal, and there would be work because it would be plowing a field. It would be dragging something behind it. So it's not that there's no work involved, but just that that yoke is easy for Jesus. Saying his yoke is easier than the burden we put upon ourselves. And so if we are feeling weary and imbalanced, we can go to him because his way is better. So what is his way? Let's explore that. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you invite us Uh, to be people who are centered around you. Uh, That we figure out what it means to be Jesus-centered, to be people who know who we are rooted in the reality of being God's creation. I pray this morning that as we explore uh, this idea that we need to maybe move away from balance to be truly Jesus-centered, we can open our hearts and minds to what you have to say, Holy Spirit. And then as we are opening ourselves up to what you have to say to us, we see how it can make a difference in our lives as we try to pursue a relationship with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I believe that Jesus did not model balance. In fact, if you follow the story of Jesus through the gospel, one thing you don't see is balance. In fact, he would look incredibly imbalanced at times. So we're going to look at one of those stories, and it's not fully unique, this story. It's actually something thematically that comes up over and over again. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 1. 
starting in verse 21. And it's kind of the, the ongoing process of the Gospels. Early on in the Gospels, they're telling the story of Jesus and, and how he is moving about the countryside, how he is getting his followers, and all these kind of things. And this story is, is not that unique in the stories of the Gospels, though it is unique in the story of human history. And we're going to start here in Trinity 1. It says, Then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. So he goes into the synagogue. So this is their religious institution, the Jewish individuals. And so he goes in to teach. He's, he has that privilege. He's viewed as a rabbi by many people. And so he goes in to read the scriptures, tell them what it's about, why it matters. And it says this, The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. There's a very important statement that's being made here by Mark. The observation is that Jesus isn't like everybody else. Those people who have been in the synagogue, maybe they've been in for a while, have heard other people teach. And what they've heard taught on the law, meaning particularly the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, they've heard it taught, they've, they've listened to people for years, and it just seemed like, yeah, same old story. But these people, this moment, say he teaches like someone with authority. When an individual was going into the church and teaching as someone with authority, he was teaching from a level of understanding and interpretation that was deeper than what they would be used to. In the Old Testament, you see all kinds of instructions as to how it looks for you to be a follower of God. And some of those things aren't always clear. Some of those times you have to go, okay, well, what do you do when it seems like two things are, are working against each other? And Jesus was one who taught with authority, saying, this is what this means. This is how you understand it. And we see that throughout his teaching in the Gospels. So just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, for some of us, we're, we're reading this story and we're thinking, wow, there's demon possession. This is a little strange. We're not so familiar with this. Maybe we think this just belongs in horror movies. Uh, but this is an ongoing event that occurs throughout Scripture. And I think something that still exists today that we maybe don't pay enough attention to. Some of us, maybe we pay too much attention to it. But the reality is that there's spiritual forces at work. Just as we believe in God, we have to recognize that there are evil forces at work. And Jesus is addressing that in this moment. And so there's someone who is with an impure spirit, so they are possessed. And they come out, and they recognize who Jesus is, and say, what do you want with us? The quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all amazed that they had asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, my guess is, if you had done something like this, you'd think, hey, that's, that's a good day. We, we were successful. We went, we taught, we cast out demons. Let's go rest. And so the story continues. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. 
and they immediately told Jesus about it. So he went up to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So after a day of teaching and casting out this impure spirit from this man in the synagogue, he goes over to Simon's house. Simon's mom, his mother-in-law is not well. He heals her, so he keeps going. And then everybody's like, wow, I heard this healer's in town. So they show up at the door, and he heals them. We don't know how many people that is. I'm not going to make a guess. But there's plenty of people coming. It's the night is going, it's, you know, it's a busy day, and he's, he distinguishes between the physical healing, those who had medical concerns, as well as demon possession, there's a distinction there, and he just does it. That's it. So after a long day, he's still doing what he does. I would imagine it's, it gets into the night, and it says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So let's think about this story. Jesus has had a full day. What does a full day look like for you? I don't know. You know, maybe it is you have kids at home, so it's getting the kids up for school, making lunches, all those kind of things. You go to work, you do your work, and then maybe you come home, you make dinner, get the kids ready for bed, and that's a full day. Maybe your day goes even longer than that. Maybe you, you work, but then you volunteer and you do other things. Or maybe you have school as well as kids and family. Or maybe you don't have kids, but you're, you're still pretty busy. You've got hobbies. You've got all kinds of things. Whatever your day looks like, it's a full day. For Jesus, it involved him going to essentially work. He was he- leading people through teaching. He was healing people from their sickness and from demon possession. And it was a full day. He goes over to their friend's house, essentially, thinking, hey, the day is over. Let's have something to eat. And he has to heal the mother-in-law. And then everybody hears about it, so they come to the door, and he's not going to just turn them away, so he does some more healing and gets into the night. Who knows how late it is? And then he goes to sleep. What's the first thing he does? He gets up while it's still dark and goes somewhere alone to pray. What Jesus models here isn't balance. It's rhythm. Instead of trying to go, okay, well, maybe I did enough healing today. Maybe I can take a break for a while. Or, you know what, I did enough teaching. Maybe I can take a break. He does full on what he's asked to do. And then he develops, a continues probably, a rhythm in his life of going to be with God in quiet. This isn't balance, it's centeredness. He's secure in who he is, he knows why he's there, he does it, and then he goes to be with God. Instead of trying to figure out what do I do and what do I not do so that I make sure I don't feel overwhelmed, he goes full on, does everything, and then takes his time away to recharge and rest and be made full again. It's a rhythm, a pattern that he has throughout Scripture. It's not something that just happens one time. If we go through Scripture, we can go to different parts. We can go to Luke chapter 5, and one of the rhythms that we see in Luke 5, 16 is that he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So Jesus 
in the midst of busyness, would withdraw and find lonely, meaning alone, not, you know, sad, lonely, but alone places and prayed. But it doesn't stop there. Earlier on in Luke, he says that there's another rhythm that he has. In Luke chapter 4, he says, when he went to Nazareth there where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. Going, in our language, to church was a rhythm for Jesus. It was a pattern that he followed. It was something he regularly did. So he goes to lonely places to pray, to be alone. He goes to regular rhythm weekly, to synagogue. But it's also something that he tries to teach others. In Mark's gospel later on in chapter 6, it says this. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. So they'd been busy too. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Again, it's go full on, do what you're supposed to do, and then have a rhythm to break apart. What Jesus demonstrates is very different from trying to figure out how do we fit everything in. It's do what you're supposed to do, and then make sure you take time apart. It's a rhythm. It's a pattern that he has in his life. Instead of trying to be burdened with, like, how do I fit this in? How do I do this? He does what he's meant to do, and then he takes his time to recharge, to be away. Steve Brown, in the book that uh, inspired this series, Jesus Centered, uh, wrote this. He said, instead of pursuing perfect life balance, Jesus lived out a rhythm of being fully engaged and then withdrawing to rest and restore. This helped Jesus have great clarity, surprising focus, and deep confidence. For Jesus, it wasn't about making sure he did enough of this and enough of that so everybody was kind of okay. He did what he was there to do, heal people, teach people in the appropriate times, but he also took time to be away. He had a rhythm to his life that helped him be who he was. And yes, we can say, well, Jesus was God, so maybe it was easy for him. But as he is fully God, he is fully human. It's part of our understanding in the Christian doctrine, Christian beliefs, is that in his fullness of divinity, he empties himself and comes as a servant, as a human, and lives life just like us. And yes, it's 2,000 years ago. The demands might be different. The stresses might be different. But there's a great similarity in people wanting his time, doing what he's supposed to be doing, and just trying to live life. Much like many of you are just trying to do what you're asked to do in your jobs, in your careers, in your schoolwork, in your family's context, wherever it might be, and your people want your time and you're trying to figure out, how do I balance this? Well, you can't. Sometimes you just have to be fully devoted to something, do what you're asked to do, And make sure you take the time and a rhythm of rest. Withdraw. Be with God. What do healthy rhythms look like for you? It's one thing to say, well, you should just, you know, have a rhythm in your life. You should have a pattern. You should have something you do. But what does it look like to have a healthy one in your life? Your life is different than my life. I know that. Your work might have greater demands than my work does. Your family might have different or greater demands than my, work, my family does. 
depending on what stage you are. There's all kinds of different things. Your schoolwork might be different. But what does a healthy rhythm look like for you? I want to give you a suggestion to think about it in this way. First thing is to think about what does it look like to have a daily pattern rhythm practice? Whatever it might be, daily, what does that look like? So for me, each day I read scripture. Many of us are participating in this one-year Bible reading. That's part of my daily plan. Every day is probably about four chapters of scripture. I read, I think about it, I meditate on it, uh, and I click the little box saying I did it. But I also pray. In the morning, I do this. This is my routine. In the morning, I make sure that I read my scripture and I spend some time praying. It looks different, different days. Some days I'm better at waking up, which is rare most times. But when I wake up, that's what I do. So daily, I have this routine. There are times in my life where I had different things going on. I used uh, different practices. In the, the history of the church, there are an immense amount of practices that were done. Some were about active living, so they call via activia and via contemplata. So there's contemplative and active things that you do as spiritual practices to, to bring your centeredness around Jesus. And so for me, it's often contemplative things, but sometimes it was things like going for a walk and being in silence and solitude. I would have those routines and rhythms daily. What works for you might be different than what works for me. Daily, what can you do to bring yourself centered around Jesus and have the rhythm that's not about balance, but about being with God? And then think about what does it look like to do that weekly? Every week, what is something you can do to have a practice that brings rhythm to it? Church is a great one. In fact, it's what Jesus did, as we read in uh, Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 4, that he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. Being part of a community as a regular weekly routine makes a difference. We all experience this during the pandemic time of being just on Zoom calls and not knowing what day it is, and we found that when we got out of those routines, it really messed us up because we couldn't go anywhere. What is a weekly routine that you have? that brings you centered with Jesus. So maybe it is you take a day to fast. There's a time in my life where I did that. It's not right now, as you can tell. But where it was every Monday, I would take the day and I would fast. And it was great for me. What is something you build into your life, a habit, a routine, a rhythm, a practice, that weekly you do? Maybe it's to be with other people. Maybe you're someone who enjoys your alone time, but you can experience presence with God weekly with others or serving. Maybe you join us on Fridays or Saturdays when we sort through food and donate it. What is a pattern in your life look weekly? And then think about what does it look like monthly? What's something you can do once a month to have a rhythm and a pattern? These are not meant to be burdensome things, but things that help you to move apart. One of the things that I used to do and I want to get back to is I would basically once a month take a half day to be completely alone. I used to go to a retreat center that's not too far from here, and I would just not talk to anybody. I would shut off my phone. I would be completely alone. What's something you can build into your life on a monthly routine to help you find rhythm, to be able to deal with all those things that might not be so easy to balance? And then what do you think about occasionally? What could you do maybe once every few months, once a year, that becomes a pattern for your life? 
One of the things that I've done is I take a personal retreat. I, I take a few days. Uh, one of you is very nice and lets me use your cottage once in a while, and I go alone about once a year, and it's just alone. That's it. To me, it's a withdraw beyond my own, because it's hard to do that when you have school, when you have family, when you have jobs, when you have friends, when you have hobbies, all those different things. But what is something you can do occasionally that helps you to draw closer to Jesus? I'm going to tell you the one thing that does it the most for me. And this might not make sense to you. It's barbecue. And I'm not joking. I love to barbecue. I love to barbecue on, like, fire, like real fire, not just the pellets. I use a pellet grill once in a while, but that's cheater, and I know I'm a cheater when I use it. But I love to barbecue. Why? Because it's such a task-oriented thing where I have to be very methodical, very thoughtful in the process, and it's a long process, especially when you're cooking for like 12 to 16 hours to cook one piece of meat, that it gives me time to reflect. And that's all it is. It helps me to withdraw. It's something that's not like my daily jobs or my schoolwork or my family concerns that helps me to focus not on anything other than cooking this piece of meat, and Jesus. For me, that is my most consistent practice next to reading Scripture and praying. And it helps me immensely to say Jesus-centered. Whatever you do might not look what I, like what I do or what whoever is sitting next to you does. But whatever you do should be developing a rhythm and a pattern in your life to remain Jesus-centered, so that when all these things feel imbalanced, you're not overwhelmed, but you're reminded that his yoke is easy and he came to give you rest, so that you can withdraw from them, even when you have to go full-on and fully engage for a while. You can withdraw to be with God, to be restored, and to be renewed. Finding a rhythm in your life will probably be one of the best things you can do for yourself. And if it becomes a Jesus-centered rhythm, it'll only help you more and more in figuring out who you are and what it means to be following him in your daily life. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you invite us uh, here, in person, online, in practice, to be a community that identifies with you, Jesus. And I pray that as we uh, explored this morning the reality that many of us feel uh, frantic and frayed with so much to do, that we can draw, uh, become frustrated and concerned about how do we make sure we balance everything, that we need to be reminded that what matters most is to be centered in you, Jesus. And that when we center ourselves in you, when we recognize that uh, you died and rose again for us, for the forgiveness of our sins and so that we can experience life in its fullness. And that life in its fullness isn't meant to feel burdensome and too busy, but meant to be life-giving. And as we come to know that more and more, help us to find rhythms that can help us to be more and more like you, Jesus, and help others know the goodness that you offer us.
for life in his fullness. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we uh, go away from here, uh, that we reflect on our week and we reflect on our days and we see what does it look like to be centered around you, Jesus, and to make sure that we develop and practice rhythms and habits in our life that help us to embrace a life to be more like you. As Paul writes, that we are God's masterpiece, created for good works, prepared long ago in Christ Jesus. As we come to know that more and more, Lord, help us to have the practices in our life to make sure that we are faithful to that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.